Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition clash over the use of the Emergencies Act. 24 hours in and there are more questions than answers. Questions about whether this is justified, questions around if the criteria is met, questions around what this means to Canadians' rights and freedoms. What comes next in the effort to end illegal blockades across the country? Our focus is to ensure that the Ottawa Police Service, as well as the OPP and the RCMP, have all of the tools that are necessary to restore public order in Ottawa. And the government announces the easing of some pandemic border measures. These changes are possible, not only because we have passed the peak of Omicron, but because Canadians across the country have listened to the science and to experts, followed the public health measures, and taken steps to protect themselves, their families, and their communities. It's Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So let's talk about where we stand now with the protests, not just in Ottawa, but across the country. Some of them have effectively come down. The one in Ottawa persists, of course. The Emergencies Act has now been invoked, and there was debate in the House of Commons yesterday and criticism of the government for invoking it. So let's start there. Uh, what do you think about the debate over whether these measures were necessary? Well, I guess time will tell. Uh, you know, when they uh, the Mounties arrest uh, 13 people in Alberta, you know, heavily armed with links to violent uh, separatist groups, uh, and white nationalist groups, uh, you know, and are charging them with things like, you know, uh, attempt or conspiracy to attempt murder and things like that. You're going to have um, the impression, certainly at the higher ranks of government, they get these intelligence reports coming in. They're going, wow, this is bad. This is serious. And I think a lot of Canadians feel that way, too. Um, you know, the, the nature of this Emergencies Act, while we're still figuring it out, you know, given that it's never been used before, um, it, it uh, you know, the, there are many, many powers potentially there, but the ones that are actually exercised uh, are, uh, remain to be seen. So, you know, uh, Parliament is going to debate these things. You know, it is unfortunate that we're living in this time of such extreme partisanship that it's hard to have a rational debate on matters even as important as this. But, uh, you know, there you go. It's it's the parliament that we've got, not the one that we might wish for. Yeah, and just on that point, do you think this further polarizes our politics? There are people on both sides accusing the other of, of politicizing vaccine mandates, politicizing the protests, politicizing the invoking of the Emergencies Act. Well, I saw a tweet uh, this morning, uh, almost spit my coffee out through my nose, but it was from... Uh, Maxime Bernier, who is the leader, I mean, of the party with no seats, but uh, supposedly the fastest growing party in the country, the party that has endorsed these types of uh, blockades, the one that uh, is seen as the savior party by many of the people who sympathize with the blockades. And his tweet was that Trudeau and Freeland are terrorists. So, you know, you have somebody who is the putative leader of a party saying that the prime minister and the uh, and the top minister in, in the cabinet are, are terrorists. 
of all things. Um, you know, I mean, it's not Christian Freeland being busted with a uh, AR-15 and uh, a bunch of magazines of ammunition. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, this is the polarization of the debate we've seen. Now, you know, it, it is tough for all the parties. I mean, the liberals have to justify their behavior. They have to justify bringing in this act. Uh, the conservatives have, have serious problems with this issue because one day they're endorsing it or seem to be, and the next day they're asking everyone to go home. Meanwhile, they have a leadership campaign in which at least one prominent uh, candidate, Pierre Polyev, is, is out you know, blatantly supporting the trucker blockades. Um, and the NDP at the same time also seems to be at a loss for the position to take. I don't think the NDP supporters are in favor of what's going on in Ottawa. So, you know, it, it really is a hell of a tough situation for all the parties. And it is a time uh, that requires leadership. And this is obviously one of the problems we're having in the country right now. So what happens now? Uh, the, the police chief in Ottawa, Peter Slowly, has resigned uh, over his handling of, of the, uh, the demonstrations that turned into an occupation. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are asking, you know, what, what does it mean that the Emergencies Act has been invoked? Is it the threat of the use of some of those powers that is meant to dissuade the demonstrators? Uh, or, or are there going to be actual... Uh, actions taken to to take down the remaining protests. Well, that's the, the zillion dollar question, isn't it? I mean, there's there's news coverage this morning saying that the uh, the towing industry is saying they don't want to get involved because uh, they'll it'll ruin their business, and uh, which I, I find a little hard to take since ninety percent or more of the truckers are vaccinated, and almost all the large trucking companies are behind. Uh, the vaccine programs that are going on across the country. But anyway, that's this is what these towing companies are saying. So they don't want to get involved. Uh, I mean, bringing in the military to move those uh, trucks would be quite a, a large step, but, I mean, it may be the only effective way to get it done. Or there might be other ways of, of bringing in that type of equipment. But, you know, threatening the bank accounts, threatening the, uh, you know, freezing of people's funds, business funds, that sort of thing, I think will be quite effective because when it comes right down to it, um, you know, it's all very fine to yell about freedom. But if you're putting your debit card in the machine that's not giving you any cash, that, that type of uh, that type of measure really gets people's attention. So, uh, you know, I think it's both, Mark. I think, you know, the threat is there. The repercussions are only starting to sink in. Very few people, let alone these very low information people in the blockades themselves, who don't believe anything I write or you write or, you know, or that we broadcast, um, it's going to be a while for this to sink into their heads, and they're going to have to see some practical results from this, I think, before uh, they start taking it really seriously. Yeah. And and what do you think about the effect of all of this on politics and and the impressions of Canadians of their leaders? Uh, let's talk about that for a moment, because I'm not sure uh, anybody has gained as a result of this. I'm not sure anybody's uh, standing in the eyes of the public has improved. If anything, it's the opposite. Oh, not a bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's been a terrible crisis of leadership. I mean, you know, having one policeman uh, 
sacrificed at the altar of politics, uh, the way this chief slowly has been, uh, that's not changing anything. It's not. He's not the reason that there's a trucker uh, blockade of Parliament Hill. Uh, he he obviously didn't, uh, you know, use the full extent of his powers uh, from the start of this thing and allowed it to get too big too fast. But um, one guy is not the answer to uh, all these problems. I can't blame that man. Um, but, you know, there, there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, there's blame of the, the Andrew Shears and the uh, Pierre Pauliads of the world who are egging them on and, and congratulating this lawless behavior. Um, you know, there's the uh, lack of preparation, I think, on the federal level. Uh, you know, for this type of thing. I mean, they've known for years that these extremist groups are infiltrating other more lawful uh, organizations in society, and um, they're radicalizing uh, a very large number of people, a very small percentage of the population, but still a large number of people, large enough that they can cause a hell of a lot of problems and and damage. So, uh, you know, we have to walk the line uh, leaders in this country have to walk the line uh, between sort of law and order and protection of, of individual rights. And that's that's an extremely difficult cult one to walk when you have people popping up at these things with guns and apparently uh, the intention to hurt people. So it's a heck of a tough situation. And I just don't know that the leadership has emerged at any level in any party yet that inspires much confidence among the public. Yeah. All right. Uh, the interesting thing is, Dan, uh, that while notionally these demonstrations are about lifting the remaining restrictions on people, uh, including vaccine mandates, uh, many of those measures are actually being lifted right now across the country, some of them under provincial jurisdiction. And yesterday we learned about some travel restrictions that are being lifted by the federal government. So it does seem as though we are emerging from, uh, and perhaps we will have to return to them again if there's another wave or variant, but at the moment we seem to be heading in the direction of allowing more freedom. Yeah, and, uh, you know, none of these measures were permanent uh, suspensions of liberties or freedoms or whatever it is they want to call it. All of these measures were taken in order to get the country and and society uh, through the crisis. And, um, you know, uh, that's why they were there. They were never meant to be permanent changes. Um, I think a lot of people are are not seeing that for what it is. So uh, while at the same time, I think some of these really, really uh, cowardly governments like Jason Kenney's or Scott Moe's are hauling down the, the defenses uh, far too early, and and giving up to the demands of these extreme uh, voices, um, you know, a, a rational ratcheting down of these measures is is probably is always what was going to happen and is starting now. But I, you know, I think they should be careful. I mean, there's a lot of evidence out there. I mean, the historical um, facts from the the uh, Spanish flu of 1918 to 1920 shows that after three waves of that pandemic of a very, very similar illness, um, people got fed up with it. They took down the defenses, off came the masks, no social distancing, and then they had a massive breakout and 
thousands and thousands of deaths in the year after it in 1920. So, uh, you know, it maybe that's what we're opening ourselves up to, and, and we're just going to have to become fatalists and accept uh, the fact that some of our family members and neighbors aren't going to be around for the sake of the convenience of everybody else. Wow. All right. Lots to ponder, lots to consider. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. We're going to do everything we can as a government to support the city of Ottawa, uh, to ensure that the RCMP, the OPP, and other police services are here to help the Ottawa police services do the job. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Bruce McClellan argues invoking the Emergencies Act can help build trust in government. McClellan writes, My theory is that doing the right thing to protect ordinary Canadians will result in a boost in trust in the Prime Minister, government, and politicians. If an elderly woman in Ottawa can't feel safe going to the grocery store, how can protecting her rights do anything but boost trust? The Emergencies Act could be the right tool for this moment while increasing trust in government at the same time. In the National Post, John Iveson argues Justin Trudeau's intolerance of unacceptable views has brought us to this moment. Iveson writes, A clear majority of Canadians agree with the Prime Minister that the protests are not peaceful, that they are harming the economy and endangering public safety. But that doesn't mean they endorse his behavior in politicizing vaccine mandates. The vilification of three million unvaccinated Canadians has allowed demagogues to claim that Canada is divided into antagonistic camps and granted a franchise to bad actors who have convinced millions of Canadians that they, the people, have to take back their freedom from the elites. In the Toronto Star, John Lawrence argues, an inquiry must probe the collapse of policing and government abdication. Lawrence writes, there's no doubt Canadians need a much clearer accounting for why public institutions at all levels turtled at precisely the moment they were most needed to protect Ottawa residents from harassment and keep billions in trade flowing across the Canada-U.S. border. An inquiry also needs to explain why the three orders of government seemed unable to get on the same page until desperate Ottawa residents began taking matters into their own hands. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. He will also chair a meeting of the Incident Response Group on the ongoing blockades. And Northern Affairs Minister Daniel Vandal will announce federal investments for two initiatives designed to support the growth of Black-owned businesses in Western Canada. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, February 16th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.